Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Hughes Eight. Children's books. Why? What? And how? Hey, Kate. Yes. It's that time again. Really? Time for Betsy's Crazy Theory of the Day. <laughs> That's the theme song for Betsy's Crazy Theory of the Day, in case you didn't know. Okay. Um, okay, here's my theory. Hear me out. Hear mm-hmm. me out. Hear me out. Okay. Uh, my theory is that Americans have exchanged their love of watching British people on television, such as at the height of the Britcom era, for their love of listening to British people's podcasts and watching them uh, as YouTube personalities. Discuss. I disagree. How so? Name me three popular British television shows that people love that are uh, contemporaries. The Great British Baking Show. Agreed. That's one. The Crown? Oh, I didn't think about The Crown. All right. And then I know what the third one's going to be. What's that? You know, Hot Priest. Hot Priest the show. Fleabag. Fleabag. Yeah. All right. I don't believe I handed that one to you. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, don't, I think that 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 reneges my uh, my credit to you for that one. I think uh, I think my theory still stands. Nope. I think it's it's very strong. What my theory. You, what makes you bring this up? No particular reason. It was a <laughs> random thing. It literally occurred to me as I was listening to a British podcast, and I thought, I bet these are more popular than shows now. And that was about the extent of it. Who who are you? I am Kate. I'm Betsy. <laughs> Okay. I come up with theories. You're the crazy one. Well, yes. yeah. I think we've established that like long <laughs> I since. think that was episode one. Yeah. We literally have like an illustration someone did that kind of like drills that one home. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. By Andrea Sarumi. Uh, yes. And what do we do on this podcast? We discuss British television shows? Nope. Oh. We talk about picture books. Oh. That's not, close enough. <laughs> sometimes they're British. Not always. Uh, and whether or not they're good or not. And such and such. Now, today's book, I'm happy to say... Uh, is an illustrator, author, illustrator we've done before. Do you remember when we had Aaron Zenz on as a as a guest? Of course. Yes, and then he, he guested, mm-hmm. uh, and we did a book with him. And yeah. the book that we did was The Day the Babies Crawled Away. Yeah, the really weird one. Yeah, it was a really weird one. It was by Peggy Rathman, and the weirdest thing about it is that if you had to pick all the Peggy Rathmans that exist, which one we would do, it would not be that one. Which sort of gives away what I'm about to pull out, but I'm going to pull it out of the bag just the same. I don't know how it gives it away. I don't booty, know. Booty, you really don't. I nope. guess that's true. Good night, gorilla. Bye, Peggy Rathman. Bye, Peggy Rathman. What a coincidence. Yes, this is. Um, I guess it's a toss-up if this is her most favorite famous book or her second most famous book. Uh, this one didn't win any awards that I'm aware of, but it has wriggled its way into the public consciousness, I would say. Hmm. Have you heard of it? Nope. Okay. Well, now you will. Go read that thing. Okay. While Kate does her read, let's do a little additional information on Peggy Rathman. Now, the last time I discussed Miss Rathman, I said some vague statement like she was on a sheep farm somewhere. Well, Goobies, that was not accurate. Uh, checking notes, yeah, uh, at all. At all. Not accurate at all. Yeah. 
She's on a farm, yes, but it ain't sheep. I suspect I simply said that because the term sheep farm is fun to say, and the term cattle farm does not sound right at all for any reason. But cattle they be, and cattle they shall stay, and it's all in a New York Times article, Can Dirt Save the Earth? Agriculture could pull carbon out of the air into the soil, but it would mean a whole new way of thinking about how to tend the land. Now this article, which I was alerted to by the mysterious CDM in the comments of the Babies Crawling Away piece, dates back to April 18th, 2018. So it's still relatively recent. And while the gist of it is not wholly focused on Miss Rathman, but rather on her husband, John Wick, that's right, Peggy Rathman is married to John Wick. Just let your mind toy with that one a while. In any case, Mr. Wick and Peggy bought a ranch in California in 1998. Now, a neighbor's cows would wander onto their land, so they told them to stop doing that. And then, wouldn't you know it, the land got weird on them. There was brush and dried out uneaten grass and what have you. And, well, I'll let the Times tell it from here. Quote, Then Wick and Rathman met a rangeland ecologist named Jeff Kreck. Instead of fighting against what you dislike, Kreck suggested, focus on cultivating what you want. Squeeze out weeds by fostering conditions that favor grasses. Crack, who spent 25 years as an organic pear and apple farmer in Northern California before earning a PhD in rangeland ecology, also recommended that they bring back the cows. Grasslands and grazing animals, he pointed out, had evolved together. Unlike trees, grasses don't shed their leaves at the end of the growing season. They depend on animals for defoliation and the recycling of nutrients. Then manure and urine from grazing animals fuels healthy growth. If done right, Crack said, Grazing could be restorative. Now you can read all about Wick and Rathman's restorative efforts over at the New York Times, and we'll have the link in the show notes. We're back. Yes. Hello. Hi. Or rather, good night. Well, yeah, it Ish. is. It's nine thirty that we're recording this. Yeah. yeah so actually, a, that would yeah, not be night. an unreasonable yeah. thing to say at this time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a short and sweet book. Yeah, almost wordless, but not. Quite. Yeah, I it doesn't mean, really fall into that category. Yeah, be easy to translate. Very. Yes. <laughs> Bonsoir. Bonsoir. <laughs> Comment ça va? Um, Où est la bibliothèque? So let's discuss this book you gave me. Sure. With the world's tiniest gorilla. He's so he, he must be a baby. Why would you have a baby in its cage by itself? Yeah, that's. Super cruel, in a cage isn't it? That is so small that, like, even the human, like the door frame, you'd have to like duck in. It's a tiny cage. Maybe for... they don't think he will grow. Oh, oh, no, I know why. Um, are you familiar with the book now turned into a movie, The One and Only Ivan? No. This is based on a true story where a guy bought a baby gorilla and had it in a roadside zoo basically a worse cage than that because it had concrete floors and there weren't bars it was just like a window high up and mm. and people got mad and he is now in a very nice situation in a beautiful huge the gorilla is zoo yeah no no the man <laughs> they, they took the man out of that terrible roadside zoo and put him in no, a he's field va- where he's vacationing he, he, loves it. he loves it no but so um this is a similar situation, I guess. I've never thought about how terrible the gorilla situation is. 
Yeah, it's, no wonder he wants to get out. It's just weird, though. I do like the little stuffed animal. I love the stuffed gorilla. And the mouse throughout this entire thing is like my biggest hero. The mouse is key. Uh, he, you start off seeing the mouse in the cage chewing the string off of a balloon, a pink balloon. Which I thought it was just holding it, but and meanwhile the gorilla is stealing the keys from the zookeeper who is saying goodnight gorilla. Correct. Right. So. You flip the page, the mouse has carried on his own story of tying the balloon string to a banana and carrying the banana. I'm not sure why he tied the string, since he's just physically lifting the banana without the strings yeah. just sort of there. I guess if the, there's difficult situations, he can the, use the string. Yeah, the okay. string comes into play later. Okay, but, okay. So the gorilla gets himself out of this cage. Mm -hmm. um, and he starts following the zookeeper, who is for some reason tiptoeing. Around the well, he zoo. We just want to wake the zoo. <laughs> Except then he says goodnight to them. So yeah, right. that's a little weird. So the zookeeper then goes to the elephant and he says, goodnight, elephant. And the elephant has a stuffed babar, which seems wrong. <laughs> this is, like, this, this is, is what you could be, but you ain't. If you had a human who would give you lots of money, yeah. then this could be you. Maybe if you had some spats. Oh, you don't? Too bad. Yeah. Sorry, he elephant. He doesn't even have fun mushrooms. Like he has no <laughs> mushroom. There's no weird green wiggly dead guy. Yeah. And again, how is the human bigger than the elephant? I don't again, understand. Baby elephant. What are, it's all baby animals as far a, as the okay. This theory breaks down at a certain point, but I think it's sad that all of the animals pretty much have stuffed toys in their cages except for the lion lions don't deserve them kate who's just surrounded <laughs> by bones maybe bones are his toys but yeah of all the animals a cat would actually play with a toy right yeah that is true like give give him a ball this is supporting a... your theory this is the world's cruelest zoo it's just tiny cages and no toys if you want them it just makes me sad yeah well he they are being broken out so, well, yeah, well, one by one, the gorilla is using the keys to get each animal out of their cage. And here you can see the mouse is dragging the banana by the string. And did so you, yes, and did you notice that each time the, the key is the same color as the lock? Oh, I did not. Yeah, I yeah. was wondering, like, how he would know That's which how he key. knows. Because apparently they're not so color. Smart. Yeah, I guess they're not colorblind or something. So he gets the, so the zookeeper says, good night, hyena, good night, giraffe. And there you can see the giraffe even has a little Aww. toy. The hyena has Who a toy. Who sells stuffed hyenas? I guess maybe if it's like a Lion King thing, but I have never seen. And that doesn't seen... look like a hyena to me, like at all. No, that looks like a wild dog. It looks like a dingo. <laughs> dingo ate your baby. dingo ate your gorilla. Yeah, no. And, well, which leads me to my next question. How do all these animals um, not eat each other? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they have some weird unofficial truce. Like when, you know, when animals, like there's a water pond, like a, like a watering hole and, and they, they'll go to it, but they won't try to eat each other there. Cause there's like a weird animal truce. Maybe that's the situation. It, we're all in this horrible situation together. Right. We have to work together to escape. Not very far. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, this is what gets weird. Um, well, first of all, the zookeeper is saying, good night, armadillo. 
all the way to the left side. The poor mouse wants his banana, but the giraffe is standing on his string. Yep. And there's not a darn thing he can do Which about it. So Maybe sad. if it was the elephant, the mouse could scare the elephant, but apparently this elephant is not scared of mice and he's not the one stepping on it anyway. But the armadillo has a stuffed Ernie from Sesame Street. <laughs> what are we trying to say about Ernie here? I don't know. I don't I, know. I feel like it's supposed to be a baby because there's a pacifier and a baby bottle, but to me that is totally it's got an Ernie. Ernie. That's an Ernie nose. Yeah. Yeah. And the coloring too. Yeah, the sweater. So why would an armadillo have Ernie? Or why would an armadillo have a baby? Uh, like this a, is a one of those cases baby. where this feels like an in joke that the illustrator was doing that no one but the illustrator is going to get, and possibly one other person in the world. It just seems strange. So then, so right, so he's all done saying goodnight to all the animals. The zookeeper walks maybe 30 feet across a lawn into his house. Now, here's what I understand. Do people have to go through this, like, suburbia neighborhood and all these yards in order to get into the zoo? Right, there's no path. I think that's the back door. I think it's usually locked. That's a pretty big opening with no gate. That okay, says so originally the zoo was constructed in 1934, and that was the front entrance. But then with the encroachment of suburbia, they've changed, and now the entrance is on the other side, and this is now the back door, but it still retains the old... I don't know. So the zookeeper has neighbors? Yeah, apparently, who don't seem to mind that they're that close to loud animals by the way well, uh, i think one does because uh, she's looking through the window are you aware okay keep your eye on that person because that's going to be very important in in the future as we read through this book okay i've read this book so many times that i noticed something with that person but continue okay so the zookeeper goes into his house um all the animals are following him through the house their escape plan so short-sighted yeah, they, they got as far as, let's just go wherever the zookeeper goes. Yes. <laughs> because this has always been our dream. <laughs> to, to live with the zookeeper. <laughs> to live with the zookeeper at last. Who has a wife. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is obsessed with the color pink. How do you think? What makes you think that? Well, they sleep in a pink bed yeah. with pink wallpaper yeah, that's true. and pink furniture. How do you know that's pink not blinds. his theory? I mean, maybe he likes pink. Maybe it's his idea to make everything pink. I would disagree with that because she is wearing pink. That's true. And so, he is not. Not even when he changes. Yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting thematic decor. Should we worry about the fact that the hyena is cuddled up next to the armadillo no, like I that? I think it's really cute. I think it's cute. I don't... Hyenas have the strongest jaws in the animal kingdom. Can it they would bite? Not, I think they could bite right through an armadillo if they wanted to. I don't... Well, obviously, maybe the head, if it's sticking out of the shell. But I don't know if it can stick through the teeth through the shell. I think they... We need well, a, I think they uh, can crack it. We need, I mean, like, they can an bite animal, bones in half. Like, a zoologist to, yeah. like, let us if know. If you are a hyena expert, <laughs> email us at fusekdata at gmail.com. Let us know if their teeth can go through an armadillo shell. Yes. Right, yeah. so we're obsessed with the color pink. We got this thing going on. We got the poor mouse trying to drag his banana up onto the nightstand, which is just so cute. I know. It's going to be so bruised, though, by yeah. the time he's done. I mean, this isn't an apple we're talking about. But I'm looking at this house. I'm looking at the decor, and I'm just thinking, how has the zookeeper not fed his wife to the lion yet? <laughs> because this would drive me oh, insane. Yeah. The year this was made was 1994, and that is no excuse. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. So he, the wife says, oh, good night, dear. 
At which point, you know, yeah, the the armadillo and the hyena are sleeping together. The the elephant's holding onto the lion's tail like oh, it's like it's a blankie. I never noticed that before. You've read this a hundred times. I've read the board book edition a hundred oh. times. So details and, are cut and out. And I from like that. how the mouse is using the banana as a pillow because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's probably really squishy at this point. Oh my gosh, it must be so <laughs> gross. The smell. How does she not notice the smell? It must just be like permeating the room. What I don't understand is that. All the animals, after she says goodnight, they all say goodnight. Yes. And then you just see the silhouette of just her eyes opening. Yeah. Okay, what? Did the zookeeper fall asleep in 0.2 seconds? He had a really rough day. Did you see how long it took him to walk from cage to cage? It's not that long. No, I seriously agree. Yeah. It's 10 o'clock. He like, his head hit that pillow and bam, he is out. Right. It just seems strange. Yeah. But, um... The wife turns on the light. She looks over and she sees that the gorilla is in bed with her. The mouse is standing up in the nightstand. The elephant's like, mm, nope, Nobody is here but us pillows. <laughs> <laughs> so she walks out okay, of the house. Now look at the window. Oh, now there's two people. Now there's two people. There's beginning to be a crowd. Mm. But keep keep your eye on that window again next time. Okay, All right. so right. So, but... The wife has her head drooped like she's done this so many times before. That's true. This may be a normal thing. Oh, yeah. How there's not a beaten path over that lawn is bizarre. So she walks all the animals back into the zoo. Okay, look at that window. And now there's three people. There's three people. (laughs) It's weird. Yeah, so she says, good night, zoo, at which point you can still see the gorilla and the mouse are following her. He's doing a great job of not letting those keys clink, by the way they're uh, be up clunky. against his uh, fur. Furry little thigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. At which point she goes back to bed and she says, good night, dear. And her husband all of a sudden woke up. Wait a minute. Do you think he was faking it before? And he was like, I do not want to oh, walk yeah. the animals back. That I'm, makes more sense I'm now. asleep. And now I'm, I'm going to make my wife do it. Yeah. <laughs> so sleepy. So sleepy. You just gave away the game right here yep. with her saying that again. Yeah. So she... They, so both the gorilla and the mouse crawl back into bed, and you can see by the clock that this has taken about 25 minutes from the time that she's noticed they're all in bed to the time that she comes back into bed and they're all... I think that's a reasonable amount of time. I think that's a believable... Maybe I'd say half an hour, but sure. Right? Yeah. At which point it ends with the mouse saying, Good night, gorilla. And the gorilla going... Zzz, and the banana is now... Completely empty because it's in the mouse's... Is it in the mouse's stomach or is it in the gorilla's stomach? Did the gorilla, like, after all that time, after all the stuff that the mouse went through, eat the mouse's banana? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. But gorillas do like bananas. True. Okay. There is one thing in this book... So, as I say, I read the board book a lot. This is the greatest um, adaptation of a picture book to a board book that has ever existed. Because usually, when you adapt a picture book to a board book, you lose a ton of details. And as... We pointed out there was a detail there I'd never seen before because it got cut out of the board book. However, there is one thing in this book that is continuous. It is on almost every single page. That pink balloon mm-hmm. that escaped yeah. is on every spread. Oh. You really, you start, it gets farther and farther away as you go. But, um, yeah. and it was in the board book too. Like there was not a spread that that pink balloon did not appear in. It was very impressive. Well, I don't see it once they exit the zoo. No, it's it's outside windows eventually. I don't know if it's in that spread, but it's most of them. See, look out the window there. You can usually no. see. 
where? It's outside the window. You okay? No, the lighting that's... in here is bad. Yes, I can see it from here. That's the moon. Oh, fine. Ugh, give me this book. <laughs> give me this book. Okay. It's in almost every spread. Okay, fine. I don't see it here either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If, I, that's if I had all the time in the world, I could show you everywhere where the balloon shows up. But see, it's right there on top of the moon. See? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So good night, gorilla. Uh, it came in at number forty on the top one hundred picture book poll. It came on at number twelve on the top one hundred board books poll, which I did do as well. Now every year, the American booksellers used to pronounce what they called the Cuffy Awards. Um, so American booksellers would vote for these these fake awards, uh, and they gave Good Night Gorilla in nineteen ninety four the Cuffy for most likely to succeed in years ahead, which I think is a bit of foresight there. The Cuffies, for the record, do not exist, apparently, anymore, because we're not allowed to have nice things anymore. In the biography portion of her website, Ms. Rathman said that she began life in Minnesota, and then eventually went to the University of Minnesota, where she changed her major several times. And she said, I wanted to teach sign language to gorillas, but after taking a class in signing, I realized what I'd rather do was draw pictures of gorillas. And then about this particular book, she had this to say. A homework assignment produced an almost wordless story, Goodnight Gorilla, inspired by a childhood memory. When I was little, the highlight of the summer was running barefoot through the grass in the dark, screaming. We played kick the can and three times around the house, and sometimes we just stood staring into other people's picture windows, wondering what it would be like to go home to someone else's house. And so her, the story that she wrote was only 19 pages long, and everyone agreed that the ending was a complete dud. And so two years and ten endings later, Goodnight Gorilla got published, and it was recognized as an ALA notable book of 1994. Therein lies all the information one could possibly find about Goodnight Gorilla. Okay. Okay. Uh, rating time. You go first. I really like this book. And, you know, I think it's probably tied into the fact that I've read it to my children a hundred times. There was always something new for them to look at, whether it was the little animals in the cages or the colors of the thing, you know, the locks and the keys match up or the balloon. Uh, there was just so much to look at. I like how it's almost wordless. It's it's so hard to do something this simple, um, but that's actually also funny. So I'm very fond of it. I'm giving it a 7.2. Wow. Yeah, it's a high one for me. Yeah. Mm. I thought it was naughty and cute with the little hidden details for fun. I'm not a huge fan of the art for such a simple story, mm -hmm. so I would like it to be re-illustrated. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's painful. <laughs> just, just like when they re-illustrate Beatrix Potter. It just makes your bones hurt. Oh, I'm just saying. it's not like Peggy Rathman can do anything about it. She's raising cattle. So anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying, oh. I think it'd be fun if it had different illustrations. Um, <sighs> I almost want to give it a higher rating for a much younger audience and a lower rating for an older mm. audience. Well, don't take into account the older audience because you wouldn't read this to an older audience. You'd only read it to a younger one. Like well, I say, board book, best possible. I mean, it should have been a board book to begin with, honestly. But I don't have kids. I haven't read it a hundred gazillion times. <laughs> I didn't know that there was a board book version. I should have I, brought it, but I don't know where it is. I don't think I'll really remember this. I'd give it a five. All right. All right. 
It's a toe over the line classic. Toe over the line classic. Woo! <laughs> Yippee ki yay! See how much hate mail we get now. Uh, dear Kate, you should Not love this book nearly as much as as <laughs> Owl mean, Babies got. It was a man. forty oh. on your top one hundred. So me giving it a five, you know, that's like oh, a, that's fine. That's, that's a 40, fine. You didn't percent, like you, know. you didn't like spill vitriol all over it. So no, I thought the, it was naughty and cute. No, but I just, that's all anyone could ask. Just want to change everything. That's all. It's perfectly fine. All right. <laughs> Well, letters time. Uh, so we we had an odd spike in followers on Instagram, which was weird. We can't and really great. It good. It was a good thing. Yeah, but it was weird. We can't really account for it. But if there are more people listening to us, hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you for following us. All right, and as you'll recall, in our last episode where we did the egregiously offensive uh, five Chinese brothers. Yep. We. Asked what it was called when you take a book and you turn it on its side suddenly, and then that was not vertical anymore; it's horizontal. Yeah, I what's it, the, what's the term for that? Yeah, Nobody I called it knows. A pinfold, didn't I? You it, called it a pinfold. It's a combination of a centerfold and a pinup. We got a bunch of reactions. Nobody actually knows, but I kind of liked their suggestions. We got the centerfold. Okay, sure. Yeah. The flip spec. I don't know where that came from. Vertical orientation. More than one person said that. I would agree with that. Uh, my personal favorite came from someone named Mary, the twisty bookie. <laughs> and then finally, someone said the illustrator's fifth book, <laughs> which indicates a path of illustration that I was unaware of. Uh, then Jane wrote in, uh, she said, since I'm an identical twin, when I was a kid in the first grade, I read this book, The Five Chinese Brothers, as a book about identical quit quints with superhero mutant powers. I told my sister all about it. Now I see it as not that innocent, and that makes me sad. Aww. Sorry, we didn't mean to make you sad, but we had to do it. Yeah. It was, we had no choice. Yeah. No matter. Grown-up things we like. So I don't have HBO Max, but I did the one-week trial just so I could watch uh, the docuseries by Amy Schumer called Expecting Amy. Have you heard about it? I've heard vague things, but I don't know anything specific. It's a three-part docuseries. I highly recommend just doing the week trial just so you can watch this. They're like three episodes, about 50 minutes each, and they go through her struggles of her pregnancy while she's preparing for her Netflix comedy special. It doesn't hide anything. It includes her, and I don't know how you pronounce it, her hyperemesis. Oh, I'm just going to let you drown there, so you just keep going. Shut up. It's, it's, go, go, go. It's the disease where you're, you're like constantly nauseous and vomiting the entire oh, time yeah, you're yeah, pregnant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the disease that killed Charlotte Bronte. Oh, it's the disease Fun that fact. Kate Middleton had. Ah. Anyway, so Amy Schumer doesn't hide that at all throughout the entire... I mean, you see what she goes through, and they also... Uh, her husband gets diagnosed um, as being on the autism spectrum, while all this is happening and they'd show you know the fights they have they show the humorous times like i laughed i cried and then i laughed and then i cried and then i laughed again and then i cried so highly recommend it it was better than cats it much better than cats (laughs) on hbo max uh it's called expecting amy oh that's excellent uh mine's a new podcast so this is the art curious podcast now the only reason i found this podcast was because i was purchasing adult books from my library And I saw that there was something coming out called Art Curious Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History. Uh, It's coming out September 15th. The host and author, I should say, is a Jennifer Daisel, whose voice does not annoy me. And I'm only saying that because 
Uh, I tried to listen to a podcast that had been recommended to me many times called You Must Remember This, and I couldn't take it. I couldn't take when there is a podcast host and you don't like their voice. It is it is the worst thing in the entire world. I wonder if we have any listeners who tried to listen to us and they're like, nope. My <laughs> voice is melodic and fantastic it's, and you'd be a fool not to find it. It's like I mean, velvet to your ears, it's baby. It's a, it sure is. Yep. Um, anyway, she's all right. Uh, she's a contemporary arts curator with nearly 20 years of art historical studies and experience. So each episode... She discusses a new topic in art history. Um, and you're like, all right, well, that's fine. So naturally, I downloaded the ones that I thought would be the most interesting. These have included the following. Was Walter Sickert actually Jack the Ripper? Man Ray and the Black Dahlia connection. Is the Mona Lisa a fake? Shock art, Geragolt's The Raft of the Medusa. And what happened to the Amber Room? All of those are really good, uh, though I particularly like the very first one. Is the Mona Lisa a fake? Fun fact. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wait, wasn't it stolen? It was, but it's not a fake from that. Oh. It's so it, if it gets stolen, they won't take the real one. We're like We're like super sure, apparently. Huh. Yeah. Who knew? Okay. All right. I, I don't know. I don't do. really know how to. Yeah, that was like how. Where are we supposed to go with that? I don't like, know. I'm like, and that reminds me of my own stolen painting. Wait, no. The Mona Lisa is like a gorilla in a cage. Like both the Mona Lisa and this book have paintings in it. They and occasionally a smile and bananas. <laughs> All right, quick, bail, bail. I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fusing Kate is a Fuse Number Eight production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse number 8Kate. Follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime and our zookeeper is Drew Atienza. Fuse8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Ramsey and Betsy Bird. <laughs>